0: Good afternoon. I'm Paul Kincaid, Director of Congressional Outreach here at FMC. We're in Washington, D.C., where so many of the workers in both government and the private sector are working from home due to the coronavirus. FMC is no different. For those of you who get our newsletter in brief, you'll know we have closed our offices in Washington, and all of our wonderful staff are working from remote locations. Because of social distancing needs, our programming, which depends so much on intimate organic discussions about important issues of the day, has been taken to the virtual world. So for the next few weeks, we'll be reaching out to you with opportunities like this to learn more about our new world through the eyes of veteran legislators, experts, and others. We hope you'll find it useful in our time of shared sacrifice and our efforts to flatten the curve. According to the most recent Politico COVID Tracking Project data, more than 111,000 Americans have been given a test for COVID-19. Almost 12,400 have tested positive for the virus, and some 194 have died from complications from the illness. The virus is affecting all aspects of life in our nation. Congress is no different. At least two members of Congress have contracted the virus, and many more are self quarantining, waiting to see if they show symptoms. Of course, protecting against the virus itself is just the first layer of the role Congress plays in this national emergency. The first two COVID-related pieces of legislation providing for testing, sick days, and other critical policies have touched down on President Trump's desk, and now a third, the so-called stimulus package, is being debated in the halls of the Capitol. Providing a financial backstop to a socially distant population and a suddenly downtrodden economy will be a critical part of the work members of Congress do over the next coming weeks. They'll also play a role as leaders back home in their community that members from areas struck by hurricanes, massive storms, terrorism, shooting, earthquakes, financial panic, and many other emergencies have played since the very first days of our nation. Today we're going to learn about all of those layers of action being taken by current members of Congress from two of our former members of Congress. Both hail from the New York, New Jersey metro area and were in the House of Representatives during Sandy, the Great Recession, and, of course, 9-11. Congressman Joe Crowley from New York City served the city of his birth for 20 years, from 1999 until 2019. He climbed the ladder of leadership in the Democratic Party, leaving office as the chair of the House Democratic Caucus. Congressman Frank Lobiondo served his hometown as well, representing New Jersey as a Republican from 1995 until leaving office in 2019. His long tenure on the House Committee on Transportation and Infrastructure saw him rise to the chairmanship of both the committees on Coast Guard and Maritime Transport and the Subcommittee on Aviation. Thank you both for joining us today. Let's start by setting the scene that you see in the Capitol today. What are members thinking about right now and where do you see them putting in the most effort over the next two weeks? And Congressman Lobiando, we'll start with you.
1: Well, uh, thank you. Thank you, Paul. And, um, you know, it's, it's a trying time. Um, the three, of course, there were many emergencies, but you sort of the three major ones that I went through. Uh, 9-11, of course, uh, Katrina and Sandy. And, uh, the first thought I think that I had, and I'm pretty sure other members have, is what can we do to ease the pain? Um, there's tremendous, tremendous, uh, pain going around when all of these disasters hit. And it's a time when we really can place the political differences aside and come together. Uh, And I think we're seeing that uh, as we proceed forward with this latest challenge. And uh, challenge isn't even the right word. This latest disaster that we're facing, and we don't know even exactly how bad it's going to get. Uh, But the fact that Congress is acting quickly, uh, understanding that they have to give confidence to the American people, that they're they're going to do everything possible and, as thoughtful as possible, go through with what uh, can be done to ease the pain for so many segments and so many workers and individuals.
2: And Congressman Crowley? Yes. First, let me thank you, Paul, for putting this together and uh, to all who are participating, and particularly to to Frank Lobiando. Frank and I served in the House for roughly the same period of time. He has a couple more years seniority, but we we actually, um, you know, share those experiences in terms of of 9-11, the 08 crash, uh, and, you know, even Sandy, um, as Frank had mentioned, the devastation to, you know, the tri-state region and New York City and Queens, in particular, the Bronx, but certainly New Jersey. So uh, we both have that shared experience in in many respects, as, as Frank had said, putting aside, you know, political persuasion or party label, uh, first and foremost is the human need that's out there to respond to that and um, you know this has been coming in kind of waves and the waves are getting bigger and bigger and bigger and stronger and stronger and you know initially you saw local governments um, you know kind of filling in the gaps when there was lack of movement in, on the federal level and this is not to take away from what 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 efforts have taken place there have been serious efforts taking place I and mean, then and, and I, w- I want to say that I think from the White House on down that there has been movement, but much of this initially fell to local governments, and they've been responding in kind, kind of in, in their own kind of ways, initially uh, calling for restriction of movement and, you know, uh, first uh, no no more than 500, then no more than 250, then no more than 100, then no more than 10 people gathering. And now uh, the latest in New York, uh, I know in Pennsylvania, uh, certainly in, in California already, uh, the, the restrictions are even more draconian. And uh, all of this is being done in an effort to uh, to, to slow down the spread and to, to lower the curve, basically, as has been said. Uh, what we're seeing on the federal level here has been, again, I think, again, very bipartisan, uh, both houses kind of throwing out the playbook when it comes to the politics of this so far, the House and the Senate, Democrats, uh, Republicans coming together, same thing in the, in the Senate to address the immediate issues of, of, of helping to support small businesses, for instance, and making sure they're getting the resources they need, um, you know, that uh, even the direct payments to individuals to help uh, keep the economy going, SBA and the loans, 7-8 program, you know, uh, helping to try to uh, help industries like the airline industry. Yeah, as Frank will remember back in uh, after the uh, uh, 9-11 attacks, uh, that industry uh, was nearly collapsed itself by just that. Uh, but the whole tourism industry has writ large hotels, et cetera. But now we're seeing, we're seeing it actually creeping into every business uh, in uh, the United States today. And this is going to get worse before it gets better, in my opinion. And it's good to see that I think the federal government really stepping up even more now and um, the president on down really reacting to this in the way, way, way in which it needs to be reacted to. Thank you both. And our first question, we'll
0: we'll go through a few questions that uh, we've provided for you, and then there's been some that our, our participants and callers have provided today, and we'll get to those as well. But I think our first question is the one where people will most value your wisdom. What is in the mind of a member of Congress, not necessarily from the standpoint of legislation or anything else, but what do you feel and what do you think when you see a national emergency like this arise? What are the first kind of things that you begin thinking about? And Congressman Crowley, we'll start with you.
2: Well, I think, you know, first and foremost, you're an elected leader, and you you have to act in kind, um, and that is setting an example, uh, you know, in terms of getting the message out there about, in this particular case, which is, it's it's the most unusual and really the most uncharted water uh, disaster I've ever seen the country uh, face, and I guess the only, uh, the only disaster to look back to is the 1918 flu, uh, which, uh, no one, um, very few, if one is still alive to remember, um, but just kind of looking historically back at that. Uh, but being an example, you know, the first thing you're thinking about, I think, is your, you know, yourself, your family, first and foremost, I guess, and, um, and then, um, I think a lot of the members here under, under this crisis are, um, you know, addressing how can they actually practically do their job. Uh, when uh, in effect uh it's not um, healthy to be uh, in uh, around uh, other people, and the nature of Congress uh, is interaction is interpersonal uh relationships um, and being in the in the petri dish of all petri dishes the capital itself um, but I think you, you you kind of rise to the occasion I think you put in some respects you know your own personal safety aside and uh, I think, as uh, Speaker Pelosi said, they're the captains of the ship there, and they have to set an example, I think, for the rest of the country in terms of leadership. I think the country's looking for leadership um, and looking for people to take responsibility as well. And I think that's something that Democrats <laughs> Republicans in the House and Senate, from the president to governors to mayors all on down, have to show and demonstrate.
0: And, Congressman Lobiano, what were your kind of first thoughts when emergencies like this arose?
1: Well, I'm um, going to be pretty much in agreement with Joe that your first thoughts are – or for your family um, in particular case of uh, when it's very regionalized like sandy was that uh, is your family okay and then how are your constituents doing and what can you do to help them uh, and i especially want to thank joe because i think back um, and sandy was a whole lot different than what we're facing now uh, but joe provided tremendous leadership as we try to move forward in a bipartisan fashion even when we had some who uh, didn't understand the tremendous nature of the suffering in the emergency, and we bring it together. So, but in all the decisions we're making, uh, we're responsible for the entire nation. So, besides the 750 or so thousand people that we represent, uh, it's the uh, it's the stake of the nation that we are concerned about as well to make sure that we can get ourselves on a positive course.
0: Thank you both. And throughout our history, the government has responded in different ways to national crisis, and obviously it's very evident to most people the federal government must play a role in the dual crisis that we have right now, both a health crisis in the form of the coronavirus as well as the financial crisis that is coming because of the economic impact of that However, obviously, the size and scope of the reaction by the federal government has, has been a question since even the 1918 virus flu epidemic that, that Congressman Crowley spoke about, but also the Great Depression and, and crises on down from there. Taking account, into account both your views and that of your party, where do you see the role for, for the federal government in a dual crisis like this one? And Congressman Lobiondo, we'll start with you.
1: Well, I think the federal government has to take a leadership, but the close coordination with the governor's as we've seen evidence, especially over the last couple of days with the governors of New York and California providing tremendous leadership with the crisis they're facing, uh, that communication from them to the federal government of what's needed and the president and the team understanding that they have to be reacting very quickly uh, so that they're not only dealing with it nationwide, but in these particular hotspots. and. Uh, if that doesn't take place, we're going to we're going to have you know a big problem. But I I think it's happening in the right way now. and We're on the right track, and as long as they keep listening to the experts, and not have politicians try to decide what is the best thing to do, we're going to be in a lot better shape.
0: And Congressman Crowley, as uh, the former leader in the party, what do you where where do you stand on that?
2: I couldn't agree more with Frank. I think um, uh, right now we need to be listening to the experts themselves. Um, and they seem to be fairly uniform in terms of their recommendations that are being made. Um, I do think that we are in a wartime footing um, in many respects because this is a multiple approach to this. Um, you know, the idea of having to, to really get control in the health aspects, that's what the whole social distancing has been about, the shutdown now of all work in New York State outside of uh, work of necessity. Um, you know, the president's movement towards in, in, invocation of the Defense Production Act uh, and all that that could encompass. You know, it's interesting, on a, on a local note, uh, there's a factory in upstate New York, uh, well outside of my district, uh, that was facing bankruptcy because of this. You know, uh, you know, almost like hand-to-mouth kind of a business. A glove factory up in Gloversville, uh, 100 employees working there. You know, now that the, the state needs – um, have, have shifted towards the need for medical supplies, gloves in particular, masks, for that instance. Here's a company that I think is ready to be able to adapt and move very quickly towards the creation of to help fill the gap. And um, But that's on a small level. You can take that then to the automotive industry in terms of the creation of ventilators and what we need to do to upscale, uh, because that seems to be the, the one thing that is needed above all else is ventilators uh, as this... Uh, this uh, this virus um, continues, but it goes beyond that. And as you say, this is an economic response as well. So the infusion of cash into small businesses, and I'm I'm not I'm, I'm not even opposed to direct cash, you know, guaranteed loans to the businesses, paid or repaid or not repaid at this point, um, and getting infusion of cash to people so they can they can feel better about their own situation, their own spending abilities and survival, at this point in time. This is you know this unprecedented in terms of. Of the response that that's needed, and I think this—if you need government at, at any time, this is when you need government the most to step in and help uh, alleviate uh, both the economic impact as well as the health crisis impact. And obviously, as we talk a
0: little bit about legislation and what the what the federal government can bring to bear from the economic standpoint, both of you were in Congress during the the economic crisis of two thousand seven two thousand eight that saw TARP fail on its first vote, which led to one of the the lowest days in the history of the Dow Jones Industrial Average, it then passed. Both of you were in Congress for the American Recovery Act that was passed by President Obama, and so you've seen the reaction from a financial standpoint to disasters in the economic world. One of our questions from the audience is, if you could give the Trump administration and congressional leaders advice about what to include in this third response package, the the economic stimulus package that is being debated right now, what would that advice be? And Congressman Crowley, we'll start with you.
2: Well, I just gave you a couple there. I think um, small business relief is critical right now, but all business relief. Uh, I think that we're facing, again, an unprecedented event here, catastrophic event, a monumental event to our economy. And I think everything uh, and everything anything possible needs to be on the table. But if we're talking about unemployment insurance. We're talking about um, extensions. We're talking about direct cash infusion uh, to individuals, uh, taxpayers. Um, talking about helping the banks uh, use them as conduits for uh, the purpose of that distribution, uh, using the p- local banks for the purposes of of getting those loans out as quickly as possible, one hundred percent guaranteed by the federal government uh, to those small businesses to pay their employees to keep them to keep them open even if they 're not physically doing the work but yeah, keeping them together and not going into bankruptcy uh, helping the Uh, the airline industry is critical. Helping the tourism industry is critical. We're looking at between 20 and 30,000 hotel uh, workers in New York City alone that are being pink slipped as of today, I'm told. So, you know, the unemployment uh, in the country is going to rise dramatically, dramatically over the next few weeks, uh, like we've probably never seen since the Great Depression, and that needs to be addressed. So it's a whole-scale, full-bore, I think, uh, work here. We've seen that Detroit is already shut down in terms of the automotive industry. It's now time to uh, repurpose uh, that that industry towards uh, the the, the demands of need right now. And as was mentioned, uh, as I said before, a wartime effort really converting uh, towards instead of uh, making cars, and we made planes and bullets and and things of that nature during World War II, we have to shift towards creating the things we need specifically immediately right now to help save lives. And Congressman LoBiando.
1: Well, I obviously agree with Joe uh, 100% on what he's outlined. And as we move through this third phase, I think uh, the administration is taking input uh, from the governors and from a wide range of various industries. But I don't think it should be looked at as this is going to be the final one. I think there's probably going to be need to be at least several more after this because we're going to find out that whatever we include in this one, there are going to be people who are left out. And the people who are left out are going to be suffering as much as anybody was before, the, uh, before their phase of it kicked in. Um, we have to understand that restoring confidence is a big part of this as well. So if you're a senior on fixed income and you're relying on, you know, your 401K or what you have in savings that may be in the stock market, uh, you're you're watching it uh, go up in flames right before your very eyes. Uh, what do these people do? How are you going to handle the standard And kind of make a decision between uh, staying warm, eating, uh, or taking a prescription. And how's that going to be addressed? And I haven't heard anybody start to talk about that yet. But uh, as Joe mentioned all the workers in all the categories, and there's not going to be a one that's unaffected, except those who are in some critical industries, they have to be taken into account and taken into account very quickly, or these people aren't going to be able to survive.
0: And we we just talked a little bit, both of you, about about workers losing their, their jobs. It, it seems like in the 1918-1919 epidemic that, that... Congressman Crowley mentioned earlier, there was very little information, very little understanding of how the flu spread, very little medical care that was very effective in in treating the epidemic. Now, we have a unique situation where all of the information essentially ever created by man is at your fingertips. As a result, social distancing, which is a concept people may not have heard of prior to this, has become the standard, whether it's voluntary or whether it's being enforced by the, the policies and laws, as Congressman Crowley spoke about earlier, it's slated to cost billions of dollars, and it's putting the livelihoods, as you said, of millions of service industry workers at risk. What can a member of Congress do to help those workers, not just from a policy standpoint? You both obviously have, have talked a great deal about that, but from a constituent services and leadership standpoint in, in, your, in your districts. And, Congressman Lobiondo, we'll start with you.
1: Well, from a constituent service standpoint, um, each of us that represents uh, the small businesses in our district, or even large businesses, to be in touch with them to understand uh, whether there's regulatory relief that can be given uh whether there are aspects that aren't being considered uh by the expert team that's put together in Washington with the different governors and make sure that we're feeding that back in each of us has very unique and individual circumstances within our districts and making sure that all of those points of view and maybe more importantly all of those trip points uh, that are causing people so much anxiety and, and anguish are taken into consideration as we put together these relief packages.
2: Yeah, I Sorry think that the um, yeah, I think that the, you know it's, it sounds counterintuitive, but the lawmakers need to be visible as well. Uh, they need to take all all you know prescribed uh, uh, precautions, uh, but they have to find a way to be. Uh, being visible, uh, as as giving hope as well. I mean, look, at the end of the day, we've been through big things before, and and this is big, uh, and we'll get through this as well. I do think there is going to be a change in terms of of that interaction probably in the future going forward for some time until we we get a better handle on the COVID viruses themselves and anything else that may be coming down the pike. You know, in the old days, George Washington, they would bow when they greeted each other. There was a reason for that. We may be heading back towards those days. Um, but uh, I, I think it's also important for, you know, you, you, the only question in terms of, I think, members of Congress, what, what they're thinking, I think part of it is they need to be thinking of, of demonstrating their own way, that leadership. And I think Frank is right, reaching out to those small business owners, getting a sense of what their what their needs are and what they're dealing with. Um, and really, you know, moving forward in terms of constituency services, it, it's, that's already been changing already. It's becoming more and more. Uh, done by uh, teleconferencing and telephone. Uh, But I always think there's always something to face-to-face, the the people that need that, especially amongst our elderly. Uh, But there's no doubt that things will change, and probably irrevocably for for the country moving forward uh, as it pertains to the virus. Thank you both.
0: This call is unique for FMC in that we have invited several media members to join, and several have. It's an opportunity for them to see what the wisdom of former members of Congress can provide as far as context and information about the issues that are sweeping our country. We asked them to present questions they might have as well, and we have one from one of the reporters on the phone. Both of you were in the in the Congress for several ethics uh, reforms that were that were done as well as the STOCK Act, which was passed I believe a couple congresses ago. And so the the question is, given the news about stock sales by Senators Burr and Leffler after they received the coronavirus briefing, what measures do you think that members of Congress can take to avoid even the appearance of a conflict of interest as we move forward and they, do, they are more visible in their communities and, and on Capitol Hill for their leadership? Congressman Crowley, we can start with
2: you. Well, I think there are laws in place already that that, that uh, deal with that. Uh, and uh, if uh, if found to, to have been violating that, those laws, they violate the trust of the uh, American people, you know, that, that's it. You know, uh, in terms of doing more than, 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 than the laws in place right now, uh, it is illegal to, make, to take action based on our insider knowledge or trading uh, of purposes, uh, to trade stocks or to sell stocks based on insider information. And a lot of the information that members of Congress get is the information. Uh, that is always the case. Uh, so, um, you know, there will there, be no tolerance for that, I think, certainly under these circumstances as well. But I do think um, that that's an issue that needs to be addressed. But right now I think the primary focus of the Congress uh, needs to be on addressing uh, the emergent uh, needs right now of our our former constituents um, as well as the nation right now as well. Congressman Obiondo
1: Yes, once again, I'm agreeing with Joe. Uh, There are definitely laws in place, and there's always sort of after-action analysis when we have a big crisis or a big situation. And if it turns out that uh, these laws are not tight enough, that they need to be tightened up even more, then that action has to be taken but i don't think that's where the time should be spent right now each individual member of congress should understand the very special obligation that they have uh, to uphold uh, the you know the uh, integrity of the institution and of the office and uh, they should take that very seriously uh, if there's any question about this it should be thoroughly investigated and the law should be applied wherever it comes through but right now, I think the major focus should be on how do we help people uh, who are desperately in need of help. And as the days and weeks unfold, we're going to find that even more. And and this wasn't part of the question, but I want to add it at this point. Um, I think that we're we're. I saw an interview on TV where a college student on spring break uh, basically said, um, "You know, I don't think I'm vulnerable, but if I am, and I get it." Uh, So be it. I'm not going to stop my partying. Well, that's pretty hard. But where are the parents in all of this? Because the younger generation, while maybe they think they're immortal and invincible, um, the parents for all these kids who came to Florida um, or wherever they went on spring bake, probably the parents paid for the ticket and the parents, what did they do? do? Say, make sure you don't drink too much. Make sure you don't get arrested in the midst of this crisis. I think we need to have a lot more parental responsibility for the younger generation um, because, you know, if, in fact, they're not practicing the social distancing, what the rest of us do can be really negated. Can
2: I just add real quick to that? I, I, I agree 100% with Frank uh, and uh, on both what's happening in terms of our young people today and not getting the message. They need to be getting it. and Parents need to be engaged. Social, you know, uh, shaming. <laughs> a bit of that may uh, old fashioned social shaming needs to maybe be invoked as well, but especially as he uh, responded to the issue that you, the question you asked as well, he did it more succinctly. And I could not agree more with him in terms of, uh, you know, everyone I think is under scrutiny. Everyone will be under scrutiny. Remember Congress, every leader in this country as to how they acted uh, when this crisis hit and um, That will be for every member of the House, uh, the administration, uh, and local governments as well. And people need to keep that in mind when they're making decisions.
0: And we talked earlier about the roles both of you felt like you needed to play, both on Capitol Hill and in your communities. But looking back at your time in office during those times of emergencies, if you had advice to give to the current members of Congress, what roles would you say they should leave to others? And Congressman Crowley, we'll start with you.
2: I think first and foremost, there's a lot of disinformation out there. And um, we have to remember that uh, we're, we're part of that chain of information that people rely upon. So it's important that any information that um, the members are sharing uh, with uh, their constituents and the world writ large it needs to be based on, on expertise. And it goes back to what Frank had said earlier, that we need to listen to the experts uh, and take their advice and put their advice to work. Um, and I think that's the most critical thing here now. Uh, but at the, and, 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 and to a greater point that everyone needs to be uh, really speaking factually uh, and uh, false news, fake news or lying. Uh, this is not the time to be kind of bundling with this stuff. You need to put people uh, before the cameras and elsewhere who know exactly what they're talking about uh, so that people are getting the right information at this critical time. And Congressman Lobiado.
1: Well, once again, um, I think Joe and I are in complete agreement. And the Coronavirus Task Force is comprised of some incredible um, experts in their particular fields. And letting them uh, give the advice to the lawmakers who have to enact, whether it's the administration or the governors or members of Congress, is, is extremely important. Um, I've watched a number of these uh briefings that go on, and I don't want to single anybody out especially, but Dr. Fauci seems to me to be a national treasure. And understanding that somebody like that, with the experience that he has, along with the others on the task force, I don't want to slight anybody else, um, that they're the ones who are in the best position to advise us um, which way we should go. And uh, if we're talking about a different kind of national emergency, if it was Sandy, if it was Katrina, if it was an earthquake, if it was a hurricane, if it was a tornado. uh, There are people who are experts in particular areas that can advise what the best things are to do uh, to help pull us out of a crisis. And I think that applies now as well.
0: Thank you both. We've talked about the economic impact of the crisis and what Congress can do to help ameliorate that. I want to turn a little bit to the second kind of side of the issue, which is the, the actual healthcare issue itself of the coronavirus, we have two questions kind of about this from our participants. And the first one, how do you think Congress can help the CDC ramp up testing in our country when compared with, with that that's happening in other first world nations? And Congressman LoBiondo, we can start with you.
1: Well, I think it's pretty clear that the resources have to be made available. And unfortunately, uh, in many cases, we're a reactive nation. And we need to be more proactive, and this should be a serious lesson for us, especially in the healthcare area, uh, whether experts are telling us we need more ventilators, and when we don't have a crisis, that we listen to what's being said so that we're more better prepared. But in the immediate uh, time timeframe, uh, in order to be able to deal with this, the resources have to be made available. The red tape has to be cut. Um, you know, we don't want to do anything to... To harm public safety in this particular manner, but we all know that there are rules and regulations sometimes that hinder the experts from being able to do what they need to do. So if they have the resources to do it and they have the green light to do it, we should be in a much better place.
2: I think that uh, Frank is right. uh, on so much of what he said, I think efficacy is always important. Uh, ensuring that uh, whatever the uh, CDC is 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 um, uh, really putting forward uh, has been tried and tested. I think that's important, and that takes time. And that's why I think we're so much frustrated by the lack of movement in some possible mm-hmm. prophylactics or uh, even some preventative uh, measures here. Uh, but that, that some have suggested, but I think they have to do it in in, in a very uh, efficacy way. Um, the other is, I think, and uh, I think Frank would agree, that when we've gone through SARS, we've gone through H1N1, um, that uh, we really should be listening to our health experts about what to be, to, what what we should be doing to prepare for the next virus. And I think that there probably have been plenty of, of red lights flashing about the need for more ventilators. And, um, you know, it's, it's upon government, I think's responsibility. Private industry is not going to do it without the incentive of government to, 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 to create that uh, incentive to produce um, the number of ventilators that we would need for any given emergency. So I think that's something that I think uh, moving forward, uh, the Congress uh, and the presidency uh, nationally and state governments as well are going to have to be thinking, what can they do to ensure that there are going to be enough beds, there will be enough ventilators, Etc. For crises like this in the future. Thank you, both. Our next, oh, go ahead. Sorry.
0: Our, our next question is also from from participants, and uh, it, it looking at the the early days of our discussions of the the coronavirus, there were questions uh, around how much testing would cost, around how much insurance would pay same thing for for particular or potential cures there have been questions about who's going to generate a vaccine and how much that's going to cost and whether the united states or insurance companies or doctors what have you would would control how that gets out there obviously there's been questions about tests about you know celebrities and and richer people getting a chance to take the tests whereas some states have have seen a a complete lack of tests one over in, in west virginia right next door to us their governor and their their senator talked about that yesterday so the question is, how much will this begin a real discussion in Congress about the ability of our privatized health care system to react to crises like this as well as our public health system in comparison to the more centralized systems that exist in other countries that may or may not have had a different path forward in in taking care of this, this issue? And Congressman Crowley, we can start with you.
2: Well, I think as you pointed out in the centralized system like you have in Italy, uh, not all was fail-proof either. In fact, their response to the virus – uh, was lacking in comparison to other countries as well. But there's no question there are shortfalls within our system. There's no doubt about it. The, uh, you know, the private system and what it's based on, uh, that does not necessarily prepare well for future, um, uh, events, catastrophic events like this. And that's why it's incumbent upon government, uh, to, to, to really be thinking outside that box and being, uh, really prepared, um, more than we were for this particular case. Uh, when it comes to the issue of testing itself, there's no doubt that there'll be more discussion about uh, who was uh, given exposure to the test, uh, you know, the, the response that, you know, that's just the way it's always been. Well, that, that cannot be the, the answer in the future because it affects whether or not they're a poor person or a rich person. And regardless, this, this, this virus really knows no bounds between Democrats, Republicans, rich or poor, or racially or ethnically. Uh, so status doesn't matter. And uh, the spreading of disease is, n- is not a matter of status. Uh, and so we need to ensure that every corner of, of the vulnerable population uh, is tested when necessary uh, to show where the disease is taking off. We know it's taking off in New York. We know it's taking off in in, um, uh, in, in uh, Washington and state and California and elsewhere. We need to make sure that those those, those local governments and, localities are able to deal with the testing that they need to do to try to stem the rise of uh, the disease, the, the, the virus itself, uh, so that they can handle it. And that's, that's why testing is important. It's not so that we know who has it but for the sake of knowing that it's for so that we can address the, the issue and kind of lower that curve again uh, by, by, um, you know, in, imposing social distancing earlier on, et cetera, instead of taking the precautions we need, to lower that, to bend that curve. And I think that's why that's so critical and important. But there's no doubt that when all is said and done after this, there'll be a, a great deal of discussion about the shortfalls within our system that will need to be addressed in order to help deal with the next crisis. Thank Congressman.
1: Well, following up on, on what Joe had to say, which I agree with, is, you know, the immediate need is to uh, to get the testing out, to get the ventilators out, to get the protective gear out, I mean, the thought that we have healthcare professionals, uh, emergency responders, uh, who are putting their lives on the line, and we're telling people to reuse their mask, uh, to reuse uh, protective equipment—I mean, you may expect that in some third-world country, you wouldn't expect to hear that in the United States. So, what do we take from that? Number one, we've got to ramp that up, as we talked about earlier, and. Uh, with the president having some industries being able to redirect and to quickly respond to this. But just as importantly, um, as we start to get a grip on this, and hopefully that happens soon, uh, we don't just put it aside as we've done with things in the past, but we realize that this has got to be an ongoing discussion about what's going to hit us next year, the year after. Uh, what will that look like? What are we going to need for our healthcare professionals, for our emergency responders? Uh, for local governments how we want to deal with all this and that's a very large discussion it's going to be very expensive um, i'm afraid it's going to be somewhat controversial uh, but it's one that's got to take place and hopefully congress and the administration and the experts will get together and understand what they can do not just for this present crisis but how we look to the future
0: thank you both as we begin to wrap up um, one of the one of the things that we've talked about here a lot of FMC and almost all of our programming is the importance of bipartisanship and the importance of discussions across the aisle. Both Congressman Crowley and Congressman Libyando have brought up the change in the atmosphere that emergency situations have provided uh, on Capitol Hill in the past and and are providing right now as we deal with COVID-19. Looking forward for both of you, do you think that this emergency in its national and international capacity will create a new feeling on Capitol Hill or a new way that members deal with each other, that politics is dealt with on, on the Hill and how they interact with the people of this country, your former constituents. And Congressman Lobiondo, we can start out with you.
1: Well, I certainly hope so. Um, uh, Clearly over the last, whatever period of time you want to look at, uh, we've been extremely divided, uh, polarized for a lot of different reasons. And maybe some of the silver lining in a crisis like this can be that members will understand uh, that there's a greater good to be looked at and that uh, not just after a September 11th incident where we came together and, and did some pretty amazing and positive things and not just with what we're doing now, but how we look to things in the future. And this is, where, this is what the United States of America is all about. And I know that, um, that Joe shares my feelings that um, there are times for philosophical differences And uh, how you can make your, you know, political points. But the bigger picture is for the nation, uh, for our constituents, that we find ways to work together. And cooperation is not a dirty word, um, that there are things that we can do where we still protect our political interests, so to speak, uh, but the best interest of the nation comes together. And I can only hope that the silver lining out of this uh, promotes Congress to think of things in a different way as we move forward.
2: I would just add to that that I think um, uh, you know we're at our finest uh, when we're confronted with an existential threat or a disaster of this uh, magnitude and um, you know we, that's, not, that's not to say we don't have our glitches and we don't we don't make mistakes time to time or uh, or, re- or or resort, re- 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 resort back to um, revert back to some political divide. But I think Frank is right, especially in a time of crisis like this. Maybe, you know, we saw – we didn't – you know, I think Frank – would and let me just say, Frank has been such a staunch supporter of first responders, in particular – particularly our our volunteer firefighters and fire uh, – uh, th- those folks who are on the front line here as well are responding to much uh, of, of the crisis today as well. So I wanted to thank Frank for all those years of effort. He and uh, and, and Bill Pascrell of New Jersey really led uh, the efforts so, so often on that issue in such a great bipartisan way. Um, but there's no doubt that uh, it, during these times that we come together as Americans first and foremost, uh, as neighbors are looking after each other, uh, checking in on uh, our folks who are elderly, who are really isolated, maybe their kids are in another state um, and uh, they're, they're, they're alone uh, and rightfully so because you don't expose them, but if it's just a knock on the window maybe. Uh, I think that's what we all should be a part of doing, and that's what America is about. And so, I do think it's a coming together here, and that's that's in Congress. Um, you know, I don't know how long it'll be for. <laughs> you know, the nature of politics is a political political polit- you know politics is a sport here in America, uh, as well. And as much as I, I think we want to get back to watching real sports, um, I think we're hoping at some point to get back to uh, uh, to the you know the basic politics because I think it's something that America thrives on as well.
0: Congressman Crowley, you brought up first responders and obviously both of you have had tremendous impacts in your communities from, from the efforts of first responders and both of you, I'm sure, saw the, the effort that it took to get the Zadroga bill that would protect the first responders from 9-11 through the Congress and how long it took to, to get the reauthorization of that accomplished. Looking at the Zadroga and the need for it after 9-11, looking 12, 16, 24 months down the road, what one piece of legislation could you foresee Congress needing to pass that would protect the knock-on effects of this coronavirus, whether it's a health effect or an economic effect, that could conceivably, you know, if if the bipartisanship starts to dwindle, be a difficult one to get through the Congress?
2: Well, I, I do think we'll be dealing with the residual issues, and I think we have to continue to listen to the experts, um, Is first and foremost, as it pertains to... The, the different variants, uh, variations of of what um, the coronavirus, uh, COVID-19, can turn into. Um, I, I do think that you know we're going to be having. Well, I've spent an enormous amount of resources, a uh, war effort here. Uh, I think some of the things that'll be difficult to, to deal with are really when the, when the time comes to to really focus on you know paying that back, much like we did after World War II. Uh, you know there, there'll be issues of taxes. There'll be issues of of uh, other things that are very difficult, I think moving forward ahead, that will be we'll have to address at some point. But I think right now the focus needs to uh, be addressing uh, the immediate uh, crisis at hand, and I think that's what the Congress is focusing on. Ask questions later. You know, do everything you can right now. Ask questions later. I agree with Frank as well that this is the third of several more, uh, if not more, multiples of several more bills that that will be passed in a bipartisan way, moving forward to uh, alleviate the crisis right now at hand. And Congressman LoBiato.
1: Well, Joe is right that the immediate need is is to uh, take out the crisis at hand. But I think that um, as we move forward, it would be very difficult to say what a piece of legislation 24 months or 18 months from now would look like to sort of be a catch-all. But I think what will help determine that is hopefully – uh, as we get this under control, when we get it under control, and if we ever get back to a normal, that we can do an after-action analysis to determine uh, where were the particular shortfalls were, uh, where the gaping holes were. And I think from that will be, a uh, hope, the genesis of legislation that would address something like this from being at this critical state in the future.
0: Thank you both, and again, thank you for taking part in our call today. Our last question will hopefully be a rewarding one, both for you and for the participants who are on the line. Looking back, obviously both of you, as we've said, went through three major emergency and disaster issues in the tri-state area, but also you know, faced a lot of other issues on behalf of the country in the United States Congress. But looking back at those those issues that you faced and when you and the country were really put to the test, What was the most rewarding thing for you coming out of that as a member of Congress? And Congressman Loviando, we'll start with you.
1: Well, the most rewarding part for me was to see the the desperation and the devastation on the faces of so many constituents and their families and being able to provide relief and help when they thought that all hope was lost. And that you know that you were in a position to be able to bring that relief and bring that help when uh, they were just they had no place else to turn to. Uh, So it's particularly rewarding when you can help people at any time, but in a case of an emergency. And I'll go back to the uh, to the recent one that we had Joe and I shared together with Sandy. uh, There were so many people in both of our districts that were devastated uh, that had nowhere else to look. And I think we came together with a package that um, maybe didn't help everybody exactly how they wanted to be helped, but it helped a large number of people in a way that they would not have been able to otherwise.
2: Uh, let me let me say that uh, what Frank just described is absolutely right. Um, there's nothing like, uh, I think, actually effectuating the change that is needed at the time uh, after a disaster like Sandy, like 9-11, uh, where I know Frank and I, uh, particularly, our districts were hit hard both by 9-11 and by uh, Sandy, um, economic impact, <clears throat> direct impact on families and friends and loved ones. Um, uh, but I think one thing that, that sticks in my mind, especially after 9-11, was the camaraderie of my colleagues on both the uh, Democratic side and the House uh, Republican uh, uh, conference as well. Uh, the affection and the uh, the concern uh, for uh, the people that I represented back in New York City after 9-11 uh, was, uh, was exceptional. And um, so I do think uh, that something that's not really known uh, outside the halls of Congress itself is that uh, people like Frank Lobiando and Joe Crowley uh, were always decent to each other, respectful of each other, and kind to each other, uh, and appreciated uh, each other in so many ways. Uh, that's not reflected... Uh, outside the halls, often enough, um, I think people see us fighting uh, outside so much, not realizing we 're just as, as much human as anyone else and uh, to have that uh, camaraderie at a time of desperate need is like nothing else and to see your comrades and your co- your colleagues uh, you know fall in behind and want to do everything they can to help you and your constituency uh, during that time is is like nothing else here in this particular case we 're all in it together, and I think that 's uh, where members of Congress need to be mindful of, and I think they are, uh, and I think they're going to show that leadership uh, throughout the rest of the country
1: as well. Yeah, and I might, in agreement with Joe again, but I might just add, I think the media plays a role in this, in that, uh, yes, uh, we're all coming together now, but there are lots of times where members of Congress, uh, I think Joe and I were, I might um, say, were good examples along with a number of others Uh, Bill Pascrell and Pete King, and we can go through a whole long list of members, uh, that a lot of good things happen. But we had a little saying that a couple of my friends and I, that if it didn't bleed, it didn't leave. And when something good happens and members work together to get something done, uh, and whether it's a piece of legislation on health care, whether it's a piece of legislation that does something else that – If the media would pay some attention to the good stuff that's being done, that would help, I think, foster more good things happening with members of the opposite party, uh, because there are a lot of people that work together. uh, They just don't get any recognition for it.
0: Thank you, Congressman. And Congressman Frank Lobiondo from New Jersey and Congressman Joe Crowley from New York, thank you both for your time and for joining us here today. And thank you to all of our participants who sent in questions and were on the line today. I hope the wisdom and historic perspective provided by our bipartisan team of former members was as educational for all of you as it was for me. And will help you better understand the choices being made in our nation's capital and in congressional districts around the nation. We'll be back to you soon with more information on FMC programming as we all try to figure out where we are under the shadow of the coronavirus, and we would very much welcome any thoughts or recommendations on where you'd like to see that programming go. For now, from Washington, D.C., I'm Paul Kincaid. Thank you for joining us. Stay safe, stay healthy, and please remember to wash your hands. Have a wonderful weekend.